We've been doing a series, and we're coming to the end of it as the summer winds down, and we've been talking about the final days, the final countdown, end times, revelation. And so we've done this series a little different than typical. Usually we have a a topic, theme, and we kind of walk through from beginning to end. This particular series, the Lord placed on our heart to not do it in the order of a sequence, but in the order of the questions. Because if we're ask, answering questions you're not asking, when it comes to end-time prophecies, most people will just turn it off. And so we thought, let's do something different. Lord placed it on our heart. And so we had a QR code for, for months, and we allowed you to ask questions. And we've been answering the questions based on how, the volume, how many people asked. Um, if your question hasn't been answered yet, it might be later on in the year or on, the, on our Tuesday online Bible study or down the road. But, you know what I mean, keep asking questions. It's a good rhythm to have in our, in our life. And so that's been the approach. Today we're going to talk about two individuals, very interesting ministries, and that's called the two witnesses. Have you heard about these guys? Say the two witnesses. And so in the context of these two witnesses, we're going to talk about who could they be, what's the, what's the style of their ministry, And just kind of go through, what does the Bible say about these two witnesses? If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Yell when you're there. If you're not yelling, that means you're going to just look to the screen. You're cheating. Bring your Bibles. Take notes. It's important. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you. Right now we pause. We've been in praise and worship. We've experienced your anointing, your presence. And I thank you, Father, for the anointing of truth and revelation. Your word says that if we continue in your word, then we are your disciples indeed, and we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. So, Father, I ask for a double anointing of the Spirit, the anointing of truth and revelation to rest upon this moment, this house, these people, our lives. As you are working, regardless of what's being said, Holy Spirit, move as you desire. We thank you for freedom and liberty in every area of our lives. And I thank you, Father God, that you're touching us not only in the service, but Lord, I ask you to to touch us not only in a way that we know and have experienced in you, but Father God, I pray that as we're leaving today in our car, we'll begin to notice changes as a result of being in this service today. And we give you, Lord Jesus, all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And everyone shouted, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 11, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Classic Translation. It says, verse 11, as a reed or measuring rod was then given to me, shaped like a staff, and I was told to rise up and measure the sanctuary of God, the altar of incense, and the number of those who worship there. But leave out, oh, I lost mine. I just lost my verse. Okay, I'm fine. But leave out the measuring of the court outside of the sanctuary of God. Omit that, for it is given over the Gentiles, the nations. So the outer court, inner court, most holy, he said, leave out the outer court, for that's given to the nations. And they will trample the holy city underfoot for 42 months, which is three and a half years. That's why I like the Amplified. It starts breaking it down for us a little more. Verse 3, and I will grant the power of prophecy. Say, the power of prophecy. Shout the power of prophecy. 
This is more than just someone who says, I got a word for you. This is more than someone taking a mic in a service and says, thus saith the Lord, hear hear ye, or whatever it might be. And I believe in all those things. I always think it's interesting how people will will prophesy in King James translation. (laughs) Thou shalt and thee. God doesn't talk in King James. Some of us are going to be really shocked when we get to heaven. Jesus never said thee and Jesus never said thou. Jesus didn't talk in English, but that's for another subject another time. And so... I do believe in God using people to, to speak like on a personal, Lord, place on my heart and give you a personal prophecy. But we, around here, we've taught how to challenge everything, regardless who says it. And what's the challenging, the guideline of the Word of God is someone comes up to you and says, the Lord says and gives you one, two, or three things. Number one, it's always got to be aligned with the Word of God. Amen. If it's out of alignment, put it in the back burner, smile, move on. Don't argue with them. Don't fight with them. Go, God bless you, and move on. Always has to be in line with the Word of God. Always has to be in line. And if you don't know if it is, ask them, what's the verse for that? If they look at you like deer in a headlamps, that's a problem. Because if the Holy Spirit's speaking to them that clearly, the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God, He can give them a verse. Amen. So number one, it's always got to be in line with the Word of God. And two, it will always be in alignment with, as a confirmation what the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you. Too many times people have been sidetracked in their journey with God because they don't know any better. They think they've got to accept anyone because they've said it or have a title or maybe they've been right 99 times, but the 100th time, they're not right. We have to keep real about these things. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the, the Word of God says, that the glory may be of God and not of man, which means that we deal with people and people make mistakes. The only one who doesn't make a mistake is Jesus. So it doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter if I come up and say, man, I feel like the Lord's giving me a word. Challenge it. It's a good guard. Too many people accept, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. You better offend somebody. I'd rather offend them and stay on the right track than not offend them and find myself taking three years to get back on track. In fact, after this series, the Lord placed it on my heart, we're going to do a new series, and it's called the, Getting into the Alignment of God's Assignment. I believe we're in the last, the last days, and you don't want to finish your life journey knowing that you didn't even finish the assignment or even started the assignment. Yeah. We have to learn to reposition ourselves sometimes. Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's a practical thing. Sometimes it's a financial or emotional, relational thing. You got to let God, and it's important for us, and we'll talk about the benefits and the, and the challenges of making sure we are in the alignment of God's assignment for our life. Hebrews says, run the race set before you. So anyway, back to this. So just because someone prophesies, challenge it with the word of God. But that's not what it's talking about here. If someone gets in a group setting and says, thus saith the Lord. I mean, I've seen people take a mic and get up and say, hear hear the handmaiden of the Lord as she speaks. What are they doing? They're building themselves up. When you're used by the spirit of God, you're always going to glorify Jesus and build up the body, not build yourself up. Can I get an Amen. If someone's, and people can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, we should desire, Paul says, the gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit are not to make someone look good so they walk around like a proud peacock of look who I am and look what I've done. The benefits and purposes of the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. 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 And it will happen. Again, I'm not saying that everybody who does it wrong is a bad person. Sometimes they just don't know any better. 
Sometimes they get a little success, at, it's like a teenager, and they're so excited, and they begin to become successful at a certain development, and they never grow anymore. They're just going to ride that horse as long as they can. But they, they begin to start thinking that people are there for them. Kiss my ring, give me money. How much are you going to give me, and I'll give you a prophecy. Danger zone. Danger zone. Okay, I will grant them the power of prophecy. We're going to get into what that means in a few seconds. I will grant them the power. So where does the power come from? Keep in mind, people, the power comes from God. Now, people can, now once someone receives a gift, the gifts of calling of God are without repentance. And so what that means is people can be used by God, and then they get off track. Oh, back to that series we're going to get into. And they get out of the alignment of God's assignment. But do you realize they can still use their gift? and not be on track? Where do you get that? Samson. His strength was a gift from God, but Samson went away from God and could still use his gifts. It's always got to be alignment with the Word of God. And here's another thing. If you see people that are operating by gifts and power, and they're men and women of God, you're going to see Brother Ted, we're having him coming up in a few months. He's a, he is and operates out of the office of a prophet, but he's not one of these weird prophets. He's not squinting his eyes trying to get something from you. He's the real deal. And you think, I'm being tough. I'm tougher in one-on-one relationship. I challenge people. If someone tells me they're a prophet, that's first red flag. You know what I mean? Okay, because if you have to tell me what you are, then you're probably not. Too many people have a great business card and know how to market their brand, but don't know how to be what God's called them to be. And so I'm, I'm legit. I'm just going to go right at people and challenge them. That might offend you. Ooh, we got to be careful. No, the Bible says judge the spirit of the prophet. Okay? And so back to this. And so the, the power comes from God. But you know what? It always will be in alignment with the word of God. Are you listening to me, saints? This is important because as we move into the last days, and he, here's what's going to trick people and mess them up. And this is another uh, revelation. People will be deceived on the earth by the false prophet and the beast. Why? Because they'll begin to operate by lying wonders. They'll be able to do demonstrations of power. Well, how's that, Pastor? They're not of God. If they got power, they should be of God. Well, tell that to the sorcerers that were, that were keeping Egypt influence and trying to keep Israel bound. Moses walked in and said, look at this, and threw down his staff. Did the sorcerers have a staff too? I'm going to mess with some of you. Some of us, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll run around like a little Pac-Man game. Do you remember that? Or have I just aged myself? And we're trying to gobble up everything that we think is God, and not everything is God just because it has the appearance of it or has power with it. You have to do, has to be in alignment with the Word of God, and will always demonstrate the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you see power but don't sense God's presence... See, I, I, don't think, I don't think we should be, let's all get along and be happy and everything goes. No, when you, when you move into the things of God, everything needs to be challenged. We should be tougher, not easier on men and women of God. Not that, not that we ridicule them and not that we backbite and talk about them. If you wait till you get home with your family and your kids and you begin to run down men and women of God, you are in dangerous ground. I don't know who I'm talking to. And you might not see the difference of the seed you're planting until it's produced in the fruit of your children. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm just sharing it. Yeah, but they're hearing it. Yes. 
And all of a sudden, one day you're like, why don't you want to go to church? Why aren't you serving God? Because you have sowed that into their life. You better be careful. If you really believe you're a woman or man of God and you don't like something a minister's doing, shut your mouth and pray about it. I know you never do that about me. Come on, somebody. But people are people, and people, are, we're, we're all deal with that. So back to this. So the power came from God. So God gave them power to prophesy. And I love this. <clears throat> and they will prophesy to... Uh, and I will grant the power of prophecy to my two witnesses for 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. So what's one of the things we're noticing? That they are, we'll take a different color, for three and a half years. Now, just in theory, because no one really knows the exact hour, but we can know the seasons. And so in reality, we know that they're just not going to fall from the sky, or they're not going to be little children. So in theory, these guys could be somewhere in a church right now, growing in the things of God. But then you have to say, why aren't they being raptured? Hmm, good point. So they would, that would most likely make them Jewish descent from the tribe of Israel, one of the tribes that doesn't know yet what they're about to know later, but are in that cycle. Interesting thought. Okay. And they are dressed in sackcloth. What that represents, that sackcloth represents what they're going to be prophesying is judgment. Notice in verse 4, these two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, we can read over that, and this gets, I'm going to challenge you in your own study, because this gets kind of deep, but this is coming out of Zechariah chapter 4. And in Zechariah chapter 4, this is the prophecy, and it talks about what he was seeing and it represents then two separate people, which I'm not saying that they're going to come back in this time and day. We don't know if it's identifying names. It could be, and this is, this is my place where I'm at right now, and again, I'm, I'm always looking to grow, that the people in Zechariah 4, what it represented was a priest and a governor. And so it can be interpreted that it's not necessarily two personalities that are in front of the throne that's being represented here, but two positions that stand before God that are represented. A priestly position and a ruling position. Could be. Hmm. So Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor was who represented verse 5 are you with me yes. we're doing okay and if anyone attempts to injure them fire pours from their mouth and consumes their enemies 
If anyone should attempt to harm them, thus he is doomed to be slain. So they have power to defend themselves. Now think about that. We don't know if it's going to be actual fire. That would be cool. We don't know if they are speaking something and it caught, you know what I mean, and it just consumes the person. But one thing we know is when they speak, someone's going to die. And that they're, when they're speaking in this judgment, it's because they're being attacked. Wow. That sure throws a lot of our bumper stickers off, don't it? Can't we all just get along? You know, it's amazing how sometimes we have Americanized the Word of God. Let me take a side note. Have you ever heard, the Bible says to love your enemies? challenge this but I would tell you it's not that God wants you to hate people but this but what he was saying was to a context of people now before you push back because people will take that and make it universal I remember in seventh grade I'd gone to a public school in junior high excuse me to elementary school and uh, used to have to take the bus before that, used to walk uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> but in seventh grade, I wanted to go to a certain Christian school in the area, and they were full. And so my parents, we just ran into that situation of where to go. And so they sent me to another school, and it's a Lutheran school. Say, God bless Lutherans. Come on, help me out because I'm still working on that. It was a bad year for me. So. Anyway, I got in an argument with a priest one day. And you know what the argument was about? He had taken that verse and he says that we should love the devil because the devil is our enemy. And God says to love your enemy. Now, that's an extreme crazy, and I'm not saying everybody who's a Lutheran or a Lutheran priest believes that. I'm just saying that was my experience in the conversation that particular year. And so here I am as a seventh grader arguing with this an adult, but reason being even at seventh grade, I had enough a word in me to know that that was ridiculous. Do you see my point? We can all look at that and say, that is crazy. Love, love your enemy. Yeah, the Bible says that, but he wasn't referring to the devil. So who is he referring to? Because there are evil people, and I'm not saying that we should ever be in hate, but what we have lost in the church world is the fear of God. Everybody's so touchy-feely and don't offend somebody. And I, I don't want to get political because I'm not a political person. And I, I, you know what I mean, a Republican, Democrat, I think they're all on the same team. But anyway, you know what I mean, they're trying to pass laws in one state that you, you could be charged with a crime if your words, your actions, or thoughts offend somebody. Where have we gone to the freedom of speech to now we have to make sure everybody's happy? Can't, couldn't I, in theory then, be offended the fact that they're offended? I'm just saying, just a thought. Since when do we have to keep everybody emotionally calm? And we've lost, we've lost, got into this touchy-feely thing, and, and then it's trying to creep into the church world, and it's cost, it's cost us the fear of God. 
Oh, God is love. Yeah, but God's also just. God doesn't like evil people messing with his people. Now, there's a balance to everything. I'm not saying you go around cursing people and tell them they're going to die. Do what I say or you're, God's going to curse you and you'll die. No, I'm not saying that. Get, keep everything in the balance of the word of God. Keep it in the balance. Don't go to extremes. Dad Hagen used to always say, when you go to the extremes, you're going to find yourself in the, in the ditch of the road of life. Keep everything in the middle. Keep everything balanced. Okay? But the reality is, there's, there's lost that fear, the reverence of the awesomeness of God. We say, oh, God loves people. He does. But, you know, how do you, what do you do with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts after the resurrection in the New Testament who lied to the Holy Spirit? And Peter said, you have lied to not man, but to the Holy Spirit. And the man died. Right. Now, you can say that was a fluke and someone should have corrected Peter. The guy still died. And shortly after, his wife showed up. And he said, is this true? And she said, it's true. He said, well, the same guys that just buried your husband are not going to bury you. And she died. And the word of God says, and great fear came upon that area. Not, I don't think it's just necessary a fear of, oh, gee, I hope I don't die. I think it was a, a sense of awe. I believe one of the things that's going to come back in the church world before the rapture is a sense of awe of the awesomeness of our God. Just not that he's there only when I need him and I go to him when I have a hard day and he's going to prop me up and pick me up, but the awesomeness of God that you'll bow your knee before him and say, you and you alone are Lord. Because there's a stronger, and I believe we're going to, the church world's going to see the demonstration of God's power and anointing like never before. Now, you can disagree, but I read that out of Joel. There will be that army. But, but the, there's that loss of sense. And so here we have two witnesses, and God says, anybody who attacks them. My, now, this is just my personality. I like to think. I like to ask questions. So my question would be, who's dumb enough to be the second person? Right? <laughs> When you see the first person attack them and they speak and bam, they're dead. Who's dumb enough to go to that well and drink water? But notice the power that's coming out of, from heaven. Remember, I'll give them power to prophesy. And if anybody attacks them, fire is going to come out of their mouth. Now, I believe that's not only the fire of the Holy Ghost. I believe it's also be lined up with the Word of God. Because the Bible tells us also in Revelation that when Jesus comes on the white horse... And, and people are dying, and that sword is in his mouth. Yeah. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is a, like a two-edged sword, which is the sword of the Spirit, which happens to be in the armor of God, which happens to be instructed to us to pick up another series altogether. Here we go. Verse 6. These two witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They're predictions of events relating to Christ's kingdom and its speedy triumph. And they also have power to turn the waters into blood and to smite and scourge the earth with all manner of plagues as often as they choose. This is what I call some bad dudes. Don't tick them off. So they have the ability as they choose to bring judgment on the earth. 
Wow. This is not the power of the enemy. This is the power of God. Bringing order, things into alignment. Power to shut up the sky. And it says, as long as they're prophesying, which we know is going to be three and a half years. OMG. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to go buy a bunch of water. We won't be here, but if you want to be here, make sure you have a lot of water. Notice verse 7. Are you doing okay? Kind of walking through this. A little different way of preaching and teaching, but it is what it is. Verse 7. But when they have finished their testimony. On a side note, have you enjoyed this series we've been doing? Usually when we're preaching, you can stand up or you shout or you make some noise. Now you all are going. Okay, verse seven. But when they have finished their testimony and their evidence is all in, the beast, the monster that comes up out of the abyss, bottomless pit, will wage war on them and conquer them and kill them. Man. So they'll be killed. Couple reasons, you know what I mean, that come to my mind, and again, my theories, all right? Because you wonder, why in the world are they being killed? It could be symbolic. And we're going to get into why in a minute. It also could be, maybe God allowed this so that people would know that these aren't angels doing this. But that these are just mortal, flesh and blood, human beings that God has anointed. Because oh, because we could read into Zechariah and say, oh yeah, look at Zechariah. The, the, those are before God. Those are going to be spiritual beings. Then how in the world do they kill a spiritual being? Hmm. Verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie Exposed in the open street, a public square of the great city, which is a spiritual sense called by the mystical allegorical names of Sodom and Gomorrah, or excuse me, Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So now there is, there is actually a theory out there that this is really just a picture of the crucifixion. But if that's the case, why does it happen at the place where it says the Lord was crucified? For three and a half days, men of the races and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their body. Think of the impact these guys had. That evil people hated them so much. You know, the old phrase is, if everybody likes you, maybe you're not doing what you're called to do. So the magnitude of your impact might not be how many people follow you, but also the sizes of your enemies. Just a thought. But the number of people that hate them, they hate them so much that when they are killed, they are left in the streets and the world celebrates. They won't even bury these guys. And the nations will gaze at their dead bodies and will not allow them to be put into a tomb. Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will gloat and exult over them and rejoice exceedingly, taking their ease and sending presents and congratulations to one another. They will send gifts to each other because these guys are finally killed. Wow. So they're celebrating. They're giving gifts because the 
the people that were against them, the people that were speaking for righteousness, and they were gravitating to darkness and not light, are finally killed. And it is all similar to what happened with Jesus, is it not? Hell had to be celebrating when, they, when Jesus died on the cross, not knowing the, the big picture. And just in the same manner, these, the world doesn't see the big picture. They think they've won, but really they've lost. They think it's over, and it's not by far being over. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're in a battle, there'll be times the enemy will try to convince you by your perception and your emotions that it's over and you've lost. But it's not over, and you haven't lost. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not over, and you haven't lost. We got to encourage ourselves sometimes in the battles of life that the devil will try to tell you, it's over, you failed, you're lost. It, you know what I mean? Don't try, just give up. Curse God and live. Isn't that what you know I mean? Job's wife told him to do, which is the dumbest advice by any spouse in history? You know what I mean? Just curse God and die. Just curse God and die. Just get, get it over with. I'm tired of this. But it's not, say, it's not over. Sometimes you need to say that out of your own mouth when you feel like it's over. Say, it's not over. I have another round in me. It's not over. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. And at the end, Jesus has said, you are at the head and not the tail. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Marilyn Hickey, many years ago, used to say, because people tend to treat life like a game. She says, don't play to where the devil says it's over. No, you keep playing till you win. If you played a game and they start putting the pieces away, where are you going? Oh, it's over. Mm-mm, we're going to play again. Sit down. Because you decide when it's over in your own life. Amen? They begin to send presents. Because these two prophets who had been such a vexation and trouble and torment to the dwellers of the earth. It's not bad when bad people don't like you. Boy, that's a deep thought right there, isn't it? It's not a bad thing when bad people don't like you. I just wish everybody at work would love me. You might not want everybody at work to love you. Because there are some bad people. I like to think there's people who are saved, there's people that can get saved, and there's people that they are so against God and they're evil, they'll never get saved. And it's by their choice, not God's. So there's some, so your job is not trying to convince the evil people to get saved. Your job is let God use you to reach the people he wants you to reach to get saved. And I deal with this myself, my human nature. I, I just like people. I just like people. I love God and I love people. People that agree with me, people that don't agree with me. I just like people. But I have to learn. You know what I mean? You can't always get everybody to like you. Some people are going to just hate you because of God in you. Where did I get that from? The Bible. Shh. The Bible. It says, listen, they're going to, if they hate, hate your master, they're going to hate you. So take a deep breath and decompress sometimes when you get, you start to feel overwhelmed that somebody in your world or in business or in life that just for some reason doesn't like you. Because the natural tendency is, how can I get them to like me? Jesus said, if they don't accept you, shake off the dust. And just keep moving. 
If we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll stay in the journey trying to get some, and we'll spend years working to get someone to like you, and they're never going to like you. Instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to shake the dust off and keep going because there are people that will celebrate you, not just tolerate you. Come on. Sending presents. That's some not nice people on the earth. But notice verse 11. But after three and a half days, by God's gift, the breath of life again enters them. See, it's not over. Oh, boy. I wish we, in life, wouldn't you wish we could read the last chapter and then start life? Right? Have you ever been through something and you stressed out about it, and at the end it worked out great, and you're like, whoop, I only knew then. Yeah, so we just need to read these last chapters and know what the Bible says. But these three and a half days, by God's gift, the breath of life came and entered them, and they rose up on their feet, and the great dread and terror fell up fell on those who watched them. So they're watching them, and they come back to life. Then the two witnesses heard a strong voice from heaven calling them, come up here. And before the very eyes of their enemies, they ascended into heaven in a cloud. This is another way you would say they were raptured. I know some people don't like that word, but we did a whole message on it. And at that very hour, there was a tremendous earthquake, and one-tenth of the city was destroyed or fell. 7,000 people perished in the earthquake, and those who remained were filled with dread and terror, and they were awestruck, and they glorified the God of heaven. So number six, they came back to life. Or resurrected, and they were raptured in front of everybody. What a cool story. Just when they thought it was over, it's not over. It's not over. In closing, who are the two witnesses? I've invited him to come. Come on out, guys. Wouldn't that be so cool? This would be the service you would never, ever forget. You could go home to your families. They'd be like, hey, how is church? They brought the two witnesses. Best guest speakers ever. That would be so cool. Although it creates a lot of different things because why are they here and why are we here and Okay, so moving right along. See, I caught some of you like. <laughs> All right, I'll give you several options. These are different theories, different theories on who these guys can be. So one is Elijah and Enoch. Elijah and Enoch. Why those two guys? Well, the Bible tells us it's been given to every man to die, and then the, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. And these two guys have never seen the physical death. Genesis 5.23 and 2 Kings 2 verse 11. 
they've never tasted death. The Bible says Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, which means he just went on to heaven. Which, what a cool story. Can you imagine walking in that close to the Lord, and then you… And one day when I get to heaven, that's one of my questions I'm going to ask. How did that conversation play out? Enoch, did you initiate it? Did God say something? Did God invite you? Or did you do like some rude neighbors and you just push your way in? God said, you got to go back. No, I just want to stay alone. You got to, I, I, you know what I mean? How did that play out? Although I will tell you, in your own study, challenge this. Have you heard the, the, the message, the verse where Paul says, have, you know what I mean? Forgetting those things which are behind, press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you read that chapter in context, I encourage you to read that chapter in context to this idea. Because I believe what Paul was saying was because Paul was zealous. He was a go-getter, right? He was the elite of the elite. He was saying, of the law, I'm blameless. Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was like, he liked, he strove to be the best of the best. And I can only imagine it just really got to the personal human side of Paul to know that there is somebody who walked with God and didn't die. So if, I believe that what he's saying is that, that hey, he was, he's trying to step into the place of resurrection without dying, but study in your own time. So two witnesses, they, they had not died. So that's why some people believe it's, it's those guys. Number two, have you heard this idea? Ready? Elijah and Moses. I can hear some of you say it. Elijah and Moses. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, number one is they both were on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, verse 4. When Jesus said, hey, you're going to see me in my glory. And then he took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration and was glorified in front of them. And then they saw as he, sat, he was standing there talking to Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah at that mountain? Unless they could be the two witnesses. Could be. How cool would it be with that? That's another question I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. For them, was it just like a quick leap? You know what I mean? They just kind of, Elijah went up in the chariot, and next thing he knows, he's on a mountain talking to Jesus. Or is it a time thing? You know what I mean? Because eternity is dimensionally different than the way we understand our time and the linearness of time. Were they watching? But they were there. They were there. Maybe it means something. They were, they were also, both were prophets that prophesied judgment in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 17 and Jude verse 1. Both of them were used by God to bring judgment on evil people. They also, in their earthly ministry, when they were on the earth, had similar ministries. Exodus 7. Moses turned water into blood. Also, the power to destroy their enemies by fire, 2 Kings chapter 1. So now we see the description of their, the two witnesses' ministry, ministries, and they're very similar to what those guys had. Hmm. Moses and Elijah. Just out of curiosity. And, and there's no wrong or right, because we're all learning, we're all growing, and, and future events are very 
have a lot of vagueness to it, and we don't worry about staying in agreement. We, work, we focus on staying in unity and keeping Jesus number one, all right? Just out of, how many people have an opinion about Moses, Elijah, Enoch, and nobody? Who thinks it was, who thinks it was uh, Moses and Elijah? Okay. Who thinks it's Enoch and Elijah? Who don't care? Thank you for your honesty. Your honesty. Huh. You don't lie in church, especially after I give you the illustration about the man and woman who lied. To, okay. So if the guy or lady next to you starts stop bringing in, don't worry about it. They'll be fine. And so option number three. Ah, there is a third option. And that option comes out of the story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and Matthew, chapter 17. And it, the context is uh, Malachi 4. And Malachi 4 talks about that before the great notable day, before the Messiah comes, and keep in mind there's two, two storylines to the Messiah. One is the ruling king that's going to come set up his kingdom, and one is the suffering servant. One comes on the clouds, one comes through the virgin birth in Bethlehem. All these are, the Old Testament's filled with the parallel of both of these prophecies of the Messiah. That's why they looked at Jesus and thought, that if he's the Messiah, he's going to set up a kingdom. But they didn't understand the suffering servant that he actually came to die on the cross. And both prophecies, many, many, many prophecies about both sides. But they wanted to see what they wanted to see. But in Malachi, it talks about before that great notable day, that, that Elijah would come. And they were like, Lord? So the disciples asked him one day, Lord, we know in, in Malachi, basically my translation, that Elijah's testing, that Elijah is going to come before you come. What about that? Where's Elijah? In fact, in the Jewish culture and routine, they actually have a chair, a seat, a chair for Elijah. Because they're expecting Elijah to come, because when Elijah comes, then they know the Messiah is coming, right? Yeah. And so they asked him, Lord, what, if, what about that? And on a side note, I encourage you to spend time in your own walk with God having those what about that moments. It's okay to ask God, Lord, you're, you, the preacher said this, or the Bible says this, or I heard this, what about that? And that's a good thing. And Jesus said, if you can handle it, and again, challenge this in your own time, Jesus said, in those references I gave already, Jesus said, if you can handle it, that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And immediately, he gave a for lack of a better phrase, a dimensional answer that they could not understand. That someone had the, the ability to carry the anointing of someone from the past. So if you could handle it, John the Baptist came in the spirit, the anointing of Elijah. And he said, of, of all the prophets, John the Baptist is the greatest. But in the new kingdom, the least is greater than him. You ought to look to your neighbor and say, I never knew you were that important. That's legit, my friend. In this new covenant, 
the, the least, the lowest, the scraping, the bottom of the barrel Christian is greater than John the Baptist. Yeah. Wow, that's some power. That's a whole other message. <clears throat> and so he said, if he could handle that. So w- what was he doing? He was bringing a context that there is the idea that there could be two people that come in the Spirit. Well, that's a horrible lesson. The Spirit or the anointing, of someone else. They might have the same type of anointing that Moses and Elijah, and not be Moses and Elijah, but have the anointing that's similar to them. So who's the two witnesses? We don't know. Boy, I wish I had them here, though. Man, I still wish I had them here. But they will be here. They might be alive today. That would be cool. They, next question is, if they're alive, do they know? We don't know. Man, they might be a Saul on their journey, getting ready to become a Paul. God has a way of waking people up and changing their destiny quick. But these are two individuals that God's going to use during this time frame that's, that's going to carry some power. Let me end with this thought. Some of you might be sitting here and saying, especially if you're a new Christian, what's this got to do with me? And let me close with this thought. Think about the details of what God knows and has shared in his word about two people that have yet to do their ministry. The Bible says, I know the plans I have for you. What am I saying? God didn't call all of us to be two witnesses. Can you imagine if you just made that your goal? I'm going to be one of the two witnesses. It's not going to work that way. But God has an assignment for you. He has a purpose for your life. No one's going to live this life overlooked by God without an assignment. And it doesn't have to match anybody. It doesn't have to look like somebody else's. But it's still from God and very powerful. I just want to encourage you that before you were born, and the Bible says this, and David said it in Psalms, before he, while he was formed in his mother's womb, God had mapped out. He knew what he wanted his destiny to look like. I'm so excited about this next series we're stepping into because we're going to talk about destiny and distractions and not being distracted. Some of us, the reason we're not in alignment with God's assignment is we've been distracted. Not because we're bad people. We're real people, but there's things that can distract us or try to detour us or delay us from God's destiny. But the strength, the power, the success, the life comes when we come into alignment with His assignment for us. Doesn't mean everyone's called to be full-time minister, no. But it is waking up to the reality that I'm not here by accident. God has a bigger purpose for my life. When did that start? Before you were thought of in the natural. Some of us will look at life and say, why this? Why not that? Why couldn't I look like this person? Why couldn't I talk like that? Don't worry about all that right now. God can change things or God can say, I want to use the way you are. Whatever. God has an assignment on your life. Say, God has a purpose for me.
and that begins and is birthed out of this relationship that we call salvation, a real relationship with God. Salvation is not a join a club, be a better person, follow some rules, don't do this, do that. And those are, again, that's a part of it, but that's not the core of it. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd be so kind to bow your head and close your eyes, no one looking around. If you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking you to, to join a club or try to discipline yourself to be better. In where you're at, with the sins, the hang-ups, the issues, the past mistakes, coming to the place of, Lord, I know I need you. It's about you and not about me. In Zechariah chapter 3, God said, and I will remove the sins of the land in one day. In one day, he removed sin that was on the day of Calvary. You say, if it's removed, why am I still doing it? That's a good question because the power has been broken. It doesn't mean that you won't sin. You have to choose, God, I want to serve you and accept that forgiveness. It's already been paid for. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send Jesus to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. He sent the world so they can be forgiven and saved. The price has been paid. It's not you earning it. It's not you trying to play make-believe. This is a real deal. The price has been paid. You can be free. You can be forgiven. It's your choice. How? Romans 10 says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a simple short prayer that I promise if you let it come from your heart, it will have an eternal impact in your life. For what the heart man believes unto righteousness, Romans says, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open up, I'll come in. He'll never kick the door down, but he'll always come in if you invite him in. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you're, you're hearing, say, Pastor, maybe the first group, I've never heard the gospel, that I can be saved. Or number two, I used to be right with God, but I've, because, so I've allowed other stuff to come between me and God for whatever reason, and now I'm not connected anymore. But I want to get right with God. <coughs> or number three, you know, I prayed that prayer, but I really don't know if I'm right with God, and I like to know. If either of those three are you, at the count three, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just let it come from your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's not, if I'm not talking to you, that doesn't mean you sit and sleep. That means you quietly pray in your seat. Eternity for souls is in the balance right now. Don't be a distraction. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, let's pray this prayer together. I want to get saved. Say with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of all my sins. I turn to you today. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that, 
I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me, cleanse me, give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I ask you right now, I invite you right now to come into my heart, into my life, and be my Lord and Savior. I receive you today, and I boldly decree, I boldly say that today I am saved. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you would. Amen. Now, I just, before we close, I just want to speak a blessing and for those who prayed that prayer. Just so I know who I was praying with at the count of three. If you prayed that prayer and meant business with God and you know God's answered that prayer in your heart, at the count of three, I just want you to stand to your feet. You're like, that's kind of odd. I don't know people. I'm not comfortable with that. I get it. I'm the same way. But what I believe in these last days we have to see brought back in the church of God is a spiritual tenacity to stand up for Jesus. Because as odd as it might feel to stand up for Jesus when people are applauding, if we can't stand up for Jesus in the room where people are celebrating, how do we stand up for Jesus when people are laughing and mocking and trying to talk you out of it? And folks, it's going to get darker. As we get closer, it's going to get more evil, more darker, more temptation in the world. But that means, that doesn't mean we get weaker. We're to get stronger. Amen. And I believe there's a spiritual tenacity and boldness that's going to come into the body of Christ globally. Not that you're weird, not that you're rude, but that you don't waver, that you have strength and peace, that if someone tries to talk you out of it or get you to do something, it's not going to be, oh, I'm, I'm so weak. And I just, No, that you'll be able to say in a nice, polite way, no, thank you. You don't have to preach to them unless the Lord tells you to. You could just say, no, thank you. You don't have to give them 10 reasons. You don't have to tell them why they're wrong. Just say, no, thank you. Let them see by your life that God is doing something in a powerful way. But we have to have a spiritual tenacity on the inside. And some of you are just strong temperaments. Some of you aren't. I get it. And so we need God to step in and give us a strength that we maybe have never known was possible. But there's a spiritual strength. The Bible says that you can be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner person. That comes from God on the inside of you, regardless of your age, regardless of your education, regardless of any of that, accepting it from God. So if you prayed that prayer, I want to speak that blessing over your life at the count of three. Some of, you are, some of you are bold. Stand up quick. Some of you are passive. Just be encouraged, but stand. Count of three. I want you to stand to your feet. If you prayed that prayer, meant business with Jesus. One, two, three. Stand to your feet right now. Who am I talking to? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 15, God bless you. 16, God bless you. 17, 18, God bless you. Anybody else? 19, thank you. Come on, church, keep clapping. Hallelujah. God is in the house touching people's lives. Now stretch your hands toward these people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everyone that's standing that represents a life going to heaven. A new salvation, rededication. And Lord, right where they're at, we just ask you to bless them. We break every habit, every tactic, every trap of the devil in and on their life. We break its power right now. 
And we speak your word that no weapon formed against them will prosper. And every tongue that has risen against them in the past, we condemn it. I thank you, Father. Regardless of what stronghold that the enemies use, we, brought, we break it right now. No addiction, no demonic power, no spells, no incantation. We curse and bind it and send it back to the sender. We set them free into all that you have them to be. I thank you, starting right now, their desires are changing. Their heart's direction, their mindset, their perspective. And Father, according to your word, strengthen them with might. Lift your hands if you want to receive this. Strengthen them with might by your spirit in their inner person right now. In Jesus' mighty name, give them a tenacity of strength from you. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout it. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah.